I'm Tom D'Antoni. Welcome to OMN's Coffee Shop Conversations at Catfish Lou's. Catfish Lou's at 2460 Northwest 24th has been a home to our guest today, Karen Lovely. As you may know, she had a hip replacement not long ago, but is back at it. And better than ever, the saga of what she went through is inspiring, but her recovery is even more inspiring. She's here to tell us all about it, but also to talk about her work in the field of domestic violence counseling. She is more than an activist. As always, she is a ball of fire riding on this ball of confusion. That's what the world is today, they say. Boy, are we glad to have Karen Lovely back. Welcome back. How are hey, you? Tom. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah. You've uh, you've been in this place before. I have. Uh, I'm actually Lose. here every first Friday of the month. Nice. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Um, well, let's see. I think what people want to know mostly is how are you? I'm doing great, actually. I feel better than I have in probably 10 years. Wow. Yeah. I feel incredible. That's great, and yep. I, I I saw when you got out of the car, you have you, just a a strong walk. Yeah, and a stride. I, I feel strong about a lot of things. I, yeah. um, you know, I I had a total hip replacement in yeah. March, and it it r- literally changed my life. I mean, and now you've in got every a way. glide in your stride in your <laughs> and a dip in your hip. Yeah, no more dip in my hip. Um, yeah, you know, it's kind of crazy. I I had fallen off a sidewalk in Belgium at. Uh-huh. Um, I was there for a festival, in fact, one that I did with Johnny Winter. And um, it was the night before the festival. I got lost. I was tired. And what should have been a, you know, 25-minute walk after not sleeping for 36 hours ended up being a three-and-a-half-hour walk because I got lost. And oh, jeez. And I just, I finally saw my hotel, and I was so tired, I forgot that I had stopped on a on a curb, and I went to start walking and fell off the curb. And... I was, uh, you know, did my my show the next night, even though mm-hmm. my knees were blown up like balloons. And uh, it's like I'm going on after Johnny Winter. I said to the band, "We've yeah. got to be ten times better than Johnny." Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> you know, in order to make anyone think twice about us, so uh, we put on a killer show. And and uh, and I didn't take care of myself because you know Europe has no ice. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, long story short, uh, it wasn't my knees that I messed up that day. It was my hip. And so huh. as time went on, it got worse and worse. And I kind of put it off. But um, I finally, you know, discovered, yeah, it was, you know, bone on bone and it wasn't huh. going to get better. Huh. So I got huh. a great huh. doctor at OHSU and bam, wow. two months later, my legs are the same size, and I feel super strong. I'm doing all these exercises to get fit, and wow. it's incredible. That's great. Most boring story ever. Not Old really. person. Let me tell you about my no, ailments. Uh-uh, <laughs> no, no, we're, 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 but we're both cyborgs, you and me. You got a new hip. I got a. I got a pacemaker. You know. <laughs> hey, you know, I I, I got a, a tooth implant. That was my first bionic part. But but now I got this titanium thing that uh, that uh-huh. the doctors say are going to be good till I'm 95. So. Awesome. <laughs> Which is 35 years. Don't I don't want anyone to think that I'm older than I am. But 35 years. Yeah. You'll still be gigging. That's right. <laughs> Somewhere. Somewhere. Might be the old folks home, but well, why not? Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so 
Oh, before you had it, it was difficult for you to move around on the stage and everything? Yeah, you know, it was actually getting to the point um, about, I don't know, about eight months ago, I had to start using a cane to walk. Uh. And the problem was that I was in constant pain no matter what I did. And yeah. I, I couldn't stand up straight. I couldn't uh. walk. I couldn't do any of the things that I loved. You know, I, I've always done all these shows in Europe. And I always go for, you know, like two, three, four mile long walks. And... I wasn't able to even walk from like one room to another without being in agony. Yeah. And it took six months for me to get in and see this doctor at OHSU. But literally the night before my surgery, I did a show. I did one last show. Wow. And that was the first, you know, like I, I had to go on stage with a cane. And I knew like I am getting the surgery done just in time because from the cane is a is a chair and then you know right. it's kind of it, for right. me because right. I'm a really high energy performer and I'm bouncing yeah. over the stage yeah. that was just um, <clears throat> it just felt terrible to me like I just couldn't move like I'd lost half of who I am as sure. a performer sure. and so I went in the hospital the next day got this done and it was very humbling because the you know the first I couldn't work for a couple months yeah there were lots of things I couldn't even do couldn't even get out of bed um, and it was uh, real, really humbling for me to understand what it's like for a lot of people to have to go through that uh-huh. for the, you know, for life. There are, there are people that have to go through those kinds of restrictions uh-huh. and face those kinds of hardships. Um, and I was really fortunate um, that for me it was a short process. And when I came out of it, my legs were the same height. They made me better than new, just like the bionic, uh, uh, yeah, bionic yeah. woman. Yeah. And yeah. They, it's like, oh, my God, the, the hip pain was gone, and the rest has just been recovering. Uh, and <clears throat> even that, you know, it's just like learning to do exercises that I hadn't done before. And, uh-huh, uh-huh. and I feel like a spring chicken now. So. Where, where was your first gig back? My first gig back, uh, let's see. Well, I well Norman Sylvester was incredibly kind and gracious. He uh-huh. had he had asked me to do his um, inner city blues festival, uh-huh. you know, for for insurance for yeah. people who don't have insurance um, who fall between the cracks of OHP and private insurance, and um, and I had to turn him down because I didn't know what the recovery time would be. Uh-huh. And as it turned out, I was feeling pretty good, so. So he asked me to come up and sing a couple songs with him, and I did. And that was kind of like my first dipping my toe back in the water again. And, wow, what uh, was that like? Oh, it was awesome sharing a stage with Norman and his daughter. Wow, what yeah, a singer yeah. she is. And, and uh, the whole band, you know, Brian Fox was on drums, and uh-huh. it, was, uh, it, was, uh, it was just cool. It was such a great show. There were so many people there, and the energy, and it was a to support a good cause, uh-huh. you know, they're raising money for that and, and, um, you know, cause it's near and dear to Norman's heart, certainly, but it was great. And then my first real show back was right here at Catfish Lose. That was my first, you know, three hours back performing for three hours. So wow. uh, it wasn't actually three hours that night because the awesome Michael Osborne kickstarted uh-huh. the night Yeah, and we yeah. did a double bill together, but, um, yeah, I actually played from like nine thirty to were you know twelve thirty. St- were you starting to move okay by then? Oh, I was moving great. They, you know, yeah. and they were nice because they opened up all that back section along the wall there uh-huh. um, to put the the keyboards in the in the shade where they belong. No, kidding. Ah, 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 uh, <laughs> ah, 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 ah. 
That's just Dave Fleshner. I know. Uh, yeah, Dave, Dave plays with the left hand of God, so, you know, he's, uh, there's no one like him. He's one of a kind. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, yeah, so we, we had this great stage. I had, you know, an awesome band that night, uh, like I always do, and it was really fun. It was really fun to be back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Did you do anything musically while you were recovering? Did you do any writing or did you? Um, Yes, I did writing. I did a lot of um, research and reading. But the thing I'm most proud of that I did during my recovery is uh, I accomplished a goal that has been kind of, you know, a, a personal goal of mine for a really long time. You know, through most of my music, I write songs about about social issues, yeah. um, especially domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things that I wanted to do, especially after you know the past two years with this awful administration, is I really wanted to do instead of just griping and complaining and you know on social media and mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I really wanted to do something physically where I could help another person. You know, do, make make some good in the world, uh-huh. and so about a year ago, another musician friend of mine, um, who works as a, a certified domestic violence advocate, uh-huh. said, "You know, you I think you'd be really good at this, Karen, and why don't you consider joining the team that I'm on?" And so I did. So about a year ago, I started this process, and I am actually um, now officially I did. 40 hours of uh, training plus uh-huh. another, I think, another 20, 30 hours, um, uh, you know, in training beyond that. Uh-huh. I'm trying to articulate the best way to put it. Like an intern? <laughs> like an internship, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, But basically, I am now officially certified through the state of Oregon as a domestic violence advocate. Wow. And Which so, means what? What? What is? What does a domestic can, advocate do? It can encompass a, a lot of things. There's mm-hmm. a short-term advocates, which is what I'm doing right now. I'm uh-huh. considered a first responder, so I work oh, wow. with a police department. Wow! And so when uh, when the police department gets a call that they have a domestic violence situation, they immediately call an advocate, and the advocate meets the police on scene, and is is there, you know. I'm, I would be there just for the victim, and my whole purpose in being there because I usually would, you know, we only have like twenty to thirty minutes. Yeah, is to, um, you know, basically, I be a person who's just there for the victim, give uh-huh. them information, help them create a safety plan, explain, you know, the basics of the criminal justice system, like the first steps. Yeah, as in, okay, this person that hurt you um, has been arrested. Here's how you call Vine so that you'll know when they're going to get released um, because that's when they're most dangerous is when Mm -hmm. they're released. And um, that kind of stuff. And then basically, you know, turn them over to uh, places that can help, like the Family Justice Center, where they can get, um, you know, legal counseling, get a protective order, um, have child care, arrange for therapy, all kinds of things. Kind of like a one-stop yeah. shop for, for someone. Yeah. So instead of saying, hey, here's 30 places you need to call, yeah. um, what it's designed to do is say, I'm there to say, look, I'm here for you, but every decision is yours to make because abuse victims lose control. They're not allowed to make decisions. And so our job is to empower them again and, and say, hey, it's up to you what you want to do, you know, because it takes most abuse victims between five and seven times before they finally leave. Wow. And that's for a number of complicated reasons. People always just say, well, why don't you just leave? Um, but it's not that easy. You know, it might uh-huh. be you have pets or you have kids. Right. 
um, you know, your house, your job. There's a million reasons why people can't just leave. And I think a, the biggest part is that, you know, when you fall in love with someone, you want to believe that they are that wonderful person you fell in love with. And it takes a long time to realize that person really doesn't exist mm. and never did and never will. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my job as first responder is just to say, you know, uh, check in, see how they feel, and, and then help them start making decisions on how to, you know, get out of their situation and make life better no matter what they decide to do. So give them options. And I feel really, really good about that. I feel really good that, you know, it's the kind of the ripple effect, you know. You work with mm-hmm. one person and you never know where that's going to go. Right, right. So you've done a number of these. Um, I have, I have, I'm still training, so I haven't officially done anything on my own. Okay. For years, I've done this sort of thing without being, having the sanctity of being certified. It's just sort of, let me give you information. Um, And I didn't realize the extent of what I didn't know until I took the training, which was, uh, Incredible. Um, so we we had you know eight hour training sessions where, for example, mm-hmm. we had a um, a neuroscientist come in and she explained how trauma works on the brain and how it changes your thinking process mm-hmm. and puts you in you know uh, fight flight freeze and mm-hmm. um, hyper arousal. Vets know this, you know yeah. PTSD basically. Right. So that was incredibly illuminating to understand just physically physiologically like what's happening in our brains Uh when we deal with trauma and that's part of what makes decision making so challenging you know you're dealing with memory loss Uh and all kinds of other things Um, we also had the district attorney come in um, who talked about what it's like uh, in the criminal justice system what it's like for law enforcement and also what it's like trying to prosecute these particular crimes which are very different from other types of assaults and so, for, for example, right now in Washington County, the DA is putting together um, a, a team of attorneys, a task force, who will only deal with domestic violence cases. Huh. And that's a big part of it is explaining to law enforcement, to lawyers, to judges that this needs to be treated then something different because these people are not they're not driven to violence by the same impulse that other people might be you know uh-huh. there, there really is an anger involved in domestic violence yeah. it's a, about power and control yeah. um, because they can shut the anger off as soon as law enforcement shows up right and then become right. completely charming you know if you're angry and someone says don't be angry Tom you're like yeah. <laughs> everybody knows what happens when someone says calm down now right yeah. you're like don't yeah. tell me to right. well someone who's an abuser can suddenly go from, you know, ranting and raving and screaming and smashing and hitting to, oh, hi, how are you? No, that's the crazy person right over there. That's who you want. So even dispelling myths like that, you know, and it kind of informs a lot of how I, um, you know, kind of stuff that I write on social media, what I'm going to be putting into my music, for example, you know, how it's, it's really informed a lot of my life. And I'm really grateful that I had the chance to talk to all of these different experts yeah. in the field. Yeah. So I learned a lot doing the training, huh. a lot. And huh. in, in what way does it inform your music? Um, well, you know, first of all, it's, domestic violence is a personal issue for me because mm-hmm. I grew up in a violent home. Yeah. And I was in a violent relationship, um, more than one. And so I, it's something you know part of it is being my own personal detective trying to figure out well Mm -hmm. how is it that i came up from this background and ended up in that situation Uh 
you know, and and having to you start to become your own detective and figure out like what what are the things that I did to be responsible for being in that situation, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how do how do I prevent it? And how so for me musically, how do I tell that story? How do yeah. I tell the story of yeah. falling in love with someone? Who's you know, and I started that process with uh, with Hades Bride on my last album. Right. That's what it's about. I played that on the radio. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a song that was really relevant to me because it mm-hmm. really, to me, really describes that process of falling in love with someone that mm-hmm. you find out is is really the devil, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the devil's charming. Yes, that's his job. The devil's charming, <laughs> and so you know that's within music. You don't beat people over the head with. You know, whatever it is you feel passionate about, probably a poor analogy there. <laughs> or maybe not, maybe a good analogy. Um, but, you know, as a musician, I don't want to preach at my audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I want my music right. to right. tell the story, and mm-hmm. I want people to come to my show and and love the music and mm-hmm. listen to the words and then let the song tell the story. So um, I uh, I really want to have that be part of my music is that mm-hmm. not just to tell the story which you know smoking gun was a story smoking gun was a, you know a right. big hit right. and you look at that and and you say okay here's a song that was number one in blues number one in pop number one in rock kind of the trifecta yeah of music something that no blues artist has i don't think ever done or done since uh-huh. and um and yet when you look at it when you listen to it this is a song a guy who's jealous and felt entitled to just show up with a gun and kill someone. Right. It's a really awful song, yes. you know, and and I love that song. You know, I got it and I, I played uh-huh. it till the tape broke. <laughs> and it was a it was a long time. You know, it took me until a few years ago. I started really listening to the lyrics. and I went, you know, that's a horrible song. Yeah. You know, it really is. And I wonder how many people actually are listening to it. And listening to the story, and I was blessed to work with Dennis Walker and Alan Riccatani, and uh-huh. Dennis produced that album for yeah. Robert Cray. Yeah. And so they'd written a song. They felt you know there should be a song about a woman getting some back, and yeah. that was what Still the Rain was about. Uh-huh. And so that was the first time for me as an as an artist to actually dive into that subject uh-huh. and cover it. And and then you know I felt like that's still kind of passive. You know she. Yeah. She didn't really fight back. She yeah. just, you yeah. know, let nature do that. And and so on. I went kind of in a darker place on um, my last record, uh-huh. you know, because Big Black Cadillac is is yeah. definitely. Uh, and I, and one of the lines that I wrote was, you know, um, burn down the house and then turn the key. <laughs> so it's you know shooting someone, burning the house down, making sure that they never get out. Right. And that's how I think. You know, and and that's you ask how does it inform music? So yeah. for me, you know, having come out of situations like that, knowing the anger that someone feels, you feel like that. You feel like you just want to, you know, destroy things, burn stuff down. Yeah, yeah. When you get past the shame, you start getting into the anger of you know what uh-huh. how this person manipulated you and yeah. and destroyed so much of your life. Right. And so we don't need to literally do those things the great thing about art is we can have characters do those things and no laws are broken and no no one is actually harmed in the making of the song um but it's a way to channel those feelings and so that's what i really want to do with my music is take 
social issues that are important to me and channel those um, and tell stories. I'm a storyteller. Uh I want to not just, you know, like part of the thing about the blues is, oh, you know, there's that stupid quote, you know, blues ain't nothing but, you know. Right. And, uh, you know, man, love with a woman. And it's like, that's so fucked up. And it's just, that's not at all. First of all, it, it completely dismisses what the women in blues artists did those early classic like you, you look sure. at Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith uh-huh. and Victoria Spivey and it, they weren't just singing about love they were also singing about domestic violence they were singing about being forced into prostitution right. what it was like being poor what it was like you know all kinds of things and uh, you know Gishi Wiley one of my favorite singers you know what mm-hmm. it's like fleecing someone yes <laughs> you know what yeah. it's like fleecing someone and right. just wanting a normal life and it's uh, and so there's so much more to the to the blues than that. You know, you listen to uh, when the levee breaks. That's that's you know yeah. not that's 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 about yeah. the real life consequences of having a flood come and take everything away. Yep. And to me, the blues has always been about two things. It's it's about tapping into, you know, something catastrophic. Whether it's in your heart, uh-huh. whether it's in your circumstance. So maybe it's your love, maybe it's your work, maybe it's your life, maybe it's nature. And one is to let that shriek that you feel in your heart out uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and you translate that. You translate through through the actual physical notes that you play, whether yeah. it's on a... Yeah guitar or you know a keyboard or a violin or or whatever your instrument is harmonica that that actually those notes physically translate what you feel inside internally Mm -hmm. and then also through the words you're telling the story of of what's going on Uh and blues can either you know be that that scream into the darkness and it can also be overcoming it's also about not just what horrible thing happened but how you got through it and that yeah. you know it's yeah. about resiliency yeah. about bouncing back yeah and it's like yeah. you, you know you did this to me but you didn't break me right and so right. that's that's what really drew me to the blues in the first place because it's it's yeah I, I find it a much deeper well to express feelings you know i like those minor <clears throat> notes and uh-huh. the blue notes you uh-huh. know that's what uh-huh. uh and it's it's not pretty. It's not pretty like pop or opera right. or musicals right. where it's about having a, a pretty voice or a pretty instrument or a delicate yeah. touch. It's yeah. about being yeah. raw yeah. and where emotion counts, not yeah. not your technical ability, which of course you know you have to have. But really, what 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 the audience wants to know is what what is the emotional content of yeah. your music. Yeah. You know, and I, so. I, I've been looking for for a song that that that, uh, that that really tells the story of waking up every morning and knowing that Trump is still the president and <laughs> and the combination of how he's normalized evil mm-hmm. and um, how stupid he is mm-hmm. and um, how that. How, how you're sort of not able to hardly ever able to express 
the horror of it because it's a daily thing, because it happens every day. You have just described an abusive relationship, yeah. and the United States yeah. is in an abusive relationship. Yep. And any yep. anyone who's been a victim of domestic violence, and that's one of the things from early on, there are so many of us who are triggered if you've been a victim of sexual assault or domestic violence, because it's, you know, let's face it, something like, ni- I think, uh, 90% of sexual assaults on women and girls are perpetrated by men. 93% on men and boys mm-hmm. are perpetrated by men. Right. So by and large, men are doing some really serious shit, and they're right. not being held accountable for it. Yeah. And in whether it's sexual assault or domestic violence, but particularly domestic violence, what happens mm-hmm. is that you have someone who appears superficially very charming, says what people want to hear, and and that's certainly you know what what Trump was able to to do, um, and then you try to tell people, hey, there's this awful thing that's going on, and people say, a, nah, I don't believe it. It's, right. It couldn't be true. B, well, you know, you made your bed, lie in it. You know, C, ah, uh, it can't really be that bad, right? And D, you know, well, things will get better. Don't worry so much about it. And, you know, that's kind of like when you try to explain um, from within that and, and what happens in your personal life is that that abuse becomes normalized and you learn to walk around on eggshells and right. that becomes your way of life. Yeah, yeah. And you placate. You placate the abuser always. Yeah. You say whatever yeah. it is he wants to hear. And we're seeing that in Trump's administration. What happens when you try and buck him? He comes after you, Right. right destroys right. you because right. he's a malignant narcissist and that's what they do that's what sociopaths do yep. yep and right now it's sort of like we're we're expecting the the democratic party i want the democratic party to be that abused woman who gets up and says fuck this shit right. i'm not going to do it yeah. one more yeah. day you right. know and right. I have more language I could use, but I don't know where this is going out, and I don't know if you have to beep anything. But, but basically, you know, um, that is, is stand up, grow a spine, yeah. because yeah. he's a bully, and bullies are cowards. Bullies pick on people Correct. that they can pick on, yeah. and as soon as you stand up to them and say, "Oh hell no," right? Guess what they do? They right. freaking run away, and right. so we need to actually stand up and. The, the, our party needs to grow a spine and I tell yeah. you like right now women millions of women in this country were so angry between what's happening with you know the, the kids that are being caged yeah. on the border the yeah. uh, abortion laws these right. horrible abortion laws where oh a guy can rape a 12 year old girl right and get zero jail time yeah zero yeah. but a man can rape his daughter an 11 year old girl impregnate her and and she will get 99 years in jail right. for trying to have an abortion if she doesn't want to have a rapist baby. Yeah. I mean, it's just killing doctors. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, and, yeah. and that's these kinds of draconian things that these guys, and they're all, they're all hypocrites. Yes. They're all hypocrites. The whole GOP are. is right. filthy, corrupt hypocrites. So, yes. you know, like, I'm grateful we have people like Jeff Merkley. Oh, and, yeah. You know, 
Oh, yeah. In Oregon, yeah. and Ron Wyden, Wyden. who's passed the, the yeah. bill, you know, trying to get right. that, the PAVE bill, um, so to preserve election integrity. Yeah. DeFazio, yep. the same way. Yep, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But, you know, Jeff Merkley, man, that guy has been on it about the yeah. kids at the border, the caged kids. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't let a day go by where he's not, you know, either physically going there in person to try mm-hmm. and change something or whatever. So, you know, those are, those are the things that, you know, like as a musician, I want to tap into some of those feelings sure. and tell some of those sure. stories, you sure. know, because there's stories in all of that. Huh. Got any gigs coming up? I do. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you got me on my soapbox. That's okay. I've got a few no, of them. You're great some when people you're on have them on. No, no, I've got I, like 10. I, I, I love it when you're on your soapbox. <laughs> I lived in London for a year uh-huh. and there's a park. Oh yeah, speakers corner, and yeah, and yeah. there are people on soapboxes, literally. and literally yeah. that's what they do is <laughs> la, 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 la. and so I always thought, man, that was like fun. I'd love to do that. Um, <laughs> maybe I should take the opposite corner of that guy down on uh, Lovejoy and and Twenty Fifth. That's near my house. I yeah. can't tell you how many times I've walked I up there guy. and gotten in his face. Yeah, he, he yelled wants at that. him as louder than than he was yelling. Mm-hmm. They hate that. Well, they hate being drowned out. That's why I should just go there and like sing yeah. across the street from them and hold up a sign. Um, really? But anyway, you asked about gigs, not about yes. what I want to do to that guy. Um, who, by the way, is on 25th and Lovejoy I'm, most days of the week. Anyone else that wants to go out there with a with a bully pulpit and a soapbox and I've done it. Climb on there. Do you want to join Tom or take I've his place? Li- I've lived. I've lived a half a block from yeah. from that for 13 years. Yeah, he's awful. Yeah. He's Actually, he's, he hasn't been there for a while. There's okay. still assholes there. Anyway. One can only hope okay. that he's been smited. Um, <laughs> lucky I don't have a smiting stick because really? I would use it. <laughs> that's why I've got all these tattoos of furies uh, on me, uh, you know, because that's, that's like my new one here. Never stop fighting. All right. We never stop fighting. Right. We. We yep. don't. Yep. And that's what this is, you know, my uh-huh. issues. Um, back to the gigs. <laughs> The, I have some really exciting gigs coming up. Yeah. I'm super stoked about, um, well, you know, first of all, my, my monthly shows here at Catfish Lose, uh-huh. um, first Friday of every month. Who plays with you here? Um, uh, I have a kind of like a rotating uh-huh. group of, of the same core musicians. Yeah. So it's yeah. I'll have like a Ben Rice, Mark Bowden, Melanie Owen, um, Dave Million. That's usually like the core band that I have. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes Ben's on the road or Mark is on the road. And then I have, you know, Joseph Barton coming in playing guitar. Uh-huh. And um, I love working with Melanie. She's not only a really great bass player, but she's got an incredible voice and uh-huh. does harmonies. And great. it's really great to share the stage with. Yeah. Um, so we do that. But we are also, I'm stoked about this, on the 4th of July playing the Waterfront Festival. Yay! And uh, the Blues Cruise. Awesome. Yeah. And so um, I'm hoping that your listeners will think, woohoo, Blues yeah. Cruise with Karen Lovely, Ben nice. Rice, Melanie nice. Owen, nice. Mark nice. Bowden. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah, Dave Million. Um, so that's the 3 o'clock cruise. Uh-huh. So you can take the cruise and be back in plenty of time for all the fireworks right. and go. all that stuff. But yeah. uh, anyone that's ever done it, you know it's a fantastic cruise. There's music oh, on wonderful. all three decks. Yeah. And we go up and, and, and down the river. And the early ones, they, they, go, they go south. Uh-huh. 
the, the later ones, they go north. Uh-huh. And, and the, the ones that go at night are really weird because you go up there by those dry docks, and, the, the, and, <laughs> and, and they're brilliantly lit, but yeah. it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. But uh, the, the ones there in the afternoon, they, you, you go south, and right. you go down there. and It's, it's beautiful down there, too. It is beautiful. Yeah. And, and Doug Rowell all, takes out his uh, his boat every every summer, and yeah. he does, uh, it's kind of like Doug Rowell's water taxi. It's a blast. <laughs> he just picks people up. He'll say, you know, all yeah. right, meet me at this bridge or over there on this dock, and then we just go up and down the river everybody yeah. throws in you know yeah. 10 bucks for gas and we go for this great <laughs> ride well you probably don't get to see it because you're performing but when that when the boat comes is coming back mm-hmm. and you and you come up on the festival and, and there's the stage oh. and all the people and you can yeah it's great it's really yeah great. it's i you know i got to do it um i was kevin self special guest last year i did it once as a ray gordon special guest so i'm really excited this year to do my own show on the boat on the oh, blues cruise and i love being part of the waterfront festival sure you know, it's it's sure, sure. and what Peter Damon and Erica Olson are doing, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. the way that they got stuck holding the bag for the festival. Oh, I know. And how they've pulled it out. It's yeah. just incredible. I had I had Peter in here uh, a few weeks back. Oh, and, did you? Yeah. Well, we, we do that with fest- uh-huh. people who are the festival uh, curators, you know, uh-huh. uh, the jazz festival and, and that and, and and some others. And um, and he just ran down everybody who's playing in the festival. Oh, which yeah. Which is great because a lot of you know, some of those people you don't know. Right. You know, I mean, because he, he finds people. Pete really, you know, there are a lot of people that book bands, but I think Pete has to be one of the best in the business because, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. one of the things that agencies do is they'll call a festival and they'll say, um, if you want this artist, then you have to take all of our other artists. So independent artists like me can't get into a festival because yeah. Yeah. the bookers are are cowards I have to say in uh-huh. order to get this one person they take everybody else and, and they really shut the festival out to other other independent artists or, or bands or artists from other labels uh-huh. and so one of the things that that Pete does as a, as a booker is he doesn't subscribe to that he actually goes out and he oh, yeah. finds people he finds people that are yeah. unknown he found that, Kingfish you know, he quite, found and, Kingfish yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and I mean but that's the kind of thing where he actually goes out he'll go to New Orleans he'll go to different uh-huh. festivals mm-hmm. and he looks for talent he doesn't look for the most famous person that there is out there he looks uh-huh. for the most talented person that there is and then he combines all of that and it's a damn hard job i don't know yeah. how he does it i know but I know. you know he does it with a lot of grace and i have so much respect for him for how he yep. puts that festival together yep. and yep. and what he does yep. it's, it's, well i know you've awesome. got you've got somebody to help i have nobody to help oh i thought you, you, you nope oh. i do everything by myself no, i'm no, one thousand no. I mean, percent today oh <laughs> I, mean, I say, no, no, I no, no, no. do it all. I'm a one-woman operation. You, you, you told me you had to help somebody. Uh, oh, yeah. My, surgery, my, so. my friend Sarah is having um, so surgery. I'm, so I'm, I'm going to let go. you go do that. And I'm going to go pick really, her up at OHSU. I appreciate you coming in. Uh, it's always great to see you. And, Thank you. Um, all the, you know, all the regular information and the websites and stuff will be on the page here. Yep. So, I hey. hope you'll send me a link. And I do want... Do I have a second to say yeah. one thing? I do yeah. want to thank the Portland blues community and the blues community because, you know, as an indie artist, I'm a full-time musician. Mm-hmm. I was without work for three months, mm-hmm. and the people in this community 
are the, are the reason I was able to survive and pay my rent. They organized a meal train for me. Wow. And I just want to say thank you to all the people that helped me out and cared about me when when I was not able to work and I had no resources. So I want to say thank you. All right. It means a lot to me. Okay. I'll write a song about them. Good. Good. <laughs> all right. But thanks for coming in. Thank you, Tom. All I really right. appreciate your, okay. your time and for doing all, right. all of this. Okay. And Bye. for letting me speak. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.